cleaning up in Atlantic Canada. No power, no internet, no anything. Hundreds of thousands in the dark. The hardest hit areas, why recovery could take months, and how you can help. Closing in on concert rioters. We're going to be able to identify a lot of people and we're going to bring it to justice. One week since the violence, why anyone caught on camera should be nervous. And gas prices spike again. It's insane how expensive it is these days. The skyrocketing cost of fuel and why car sharing is becoming a much better option for some. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Atlantic Canada is reeling in the deadly aftermath of Tropical Storm Fiona. Nearly half a million people are still without power. From PEI to Newfoundland, people are picking up the pieces after high wind and massive waves washed away huge portions of the coastline. Kyle Benning has the latest. This was what was our backyard. A devastating sight for residents living in southwest Newfoundland. Even more so for the friends and family of a 73-year-old woman who was washed away while in her Porto Basque home. The RCMP says her body was recovered in the water after Mounties. The Coast Guard and search and rescue team started looking for her Sunday morning. Mounties say the toll on this community is massive. Much of the community remains flooded. Roadways and, and areas... A lot of the structures, there was there were 20 homes that were completely destroyed or washed away. Um, there were 200 homes that were damaged. Cleanup has started across the region as hundreds of thousands in Nova Scotia remain without power. We haven't had any reports of loss of life. That's a, I'm really thankful for that. Uh, we haven't really had too many reports of serious injuries. I'm really thankful for that. So and I think that's a testament to the preparedness of Nova Scotians. In that province, Cape Breton saw the brunt of Fiona. The mayor says about 200 people are displaced. She noted the first emergency shelter had to be shut down, but two more have become available. We're trying to keep people away from dangerous situations, away from the areas that are really, really precarious. We need to make sure there's priority given to our, our lines folks, uh, anybody who's in there doing some tree and brush and debris removal. And while many have been able to stay safe, officials in PEI say one person has died. The Premier adding that damage left in Fiona's path is like nothing the province has ever seen. When we talk about, you know, rebuilding wharves and, and doing all the things we need to do, that this will be, uh, you know, probably the biggest recovery project that we've ever had to deal with. The Red Cross is calling for donations to help those on the East Coast, and the Prime Minister says the government will match all donations over the next month. Kyle Benning, Global News. And as Kyle mentioned, the Canadian Red Cross launching that appeal for donations to help Atlantic Canada recover. You can log on to redcross.ca. And again, the Canadian government is going to match any donations. Sticker shock once again for Metro Vancouver drivers as the price at the pump jumped another 14 cents a litre overnight. That's a shocking almost 40 cents a litre jump in only about a week. And as Grace Key reports... It's the tipping point for some who are now looking to park their car. Gas prices climbed again over the weekend, this time as much as 14 cents overnight to as high as $2.34 a litre. And drivers aren't liking what they're seeing at the pumps. Yeah, when you're trying to enjoy life, there is, it doesn't help that you have to pay astronomical prices either. So, yeah, um, not happy. And uh, I don't really think that anything's really going to change. 
A tight supply along the U.S. West Coast, coupled with maintenance at the Phillips 66 Ferndale Washington State Refinery, is contributing to the increase in price. The issue is how long, and that is likely to end uh, or at least come down uh, you know, substantially, I would say, once the uh, Phillips 66 refinery is back up and running. So we could see prices move back to about $2 a litre. I don't see it going much lower than that right now. To offset the high fuel prices, some drivers are changing their habits. BCAA's car sharing program Evo is seeing an increase in usage, signups and length of trips. It feels so good just to know that I'm saving so much money on gas. Like I see it's like two four. Like, it's insane how expensive it is these days. Like, and the thing is, like, you're not even going that far with the Evo. And it's like you get to, you know, drive to locations super fast and you don't have to worry about walking uphill or anything. And then you look at the gas price and it makes you feel so good. <laughs> what the members are telling us recently is that gas prices are playing a factor in the number of trips they take. We've had some tell us they've actually chosen to sell their vehicle and that gas was uh, a contributing factor. If you're still relying on your gas car to get around, you may want to consider the day and time you refuel. Evenings, especially after 6 p.m., and of course weekends, usually in the evenings is even better. You can save as much as four to eight cents a liter. But even on this weekend, it's still painful at the pump. Just shy of 28 liters for 60 bucks. So there you go, good thing, uh, good thing I didn't have to travel far. Grace Key, Global News. RCMP in Surrey are investigating a targeted shooting that's left a man with serious injuries. Around midnight, Surrey RCMP were called to the area of 162nd Street and 80th Avenue in the Fleetwood area for reports of shots fired. A male victim was taken to hospital with serious injuries. Police believe those involved knew each other and say this is an isolated incident. As always, if you have any information, you're asked to contact Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. It's been one week since a riot broke out during a music festival at the PNE when the headliner canceled. Most people went home peacefully, but about a thousand stuck around and many of them tore the place apart, causing thousands of dollars in damage. As Kristen Robinson reports, police are taking what they learned during the Stanley Cup riot of 2011 and using it to track down a lot of people who were caught on camera. Breakout festival headliner Lil Baby canceled at the last minute. Fans unleashed their anger on the Peony venue, <laughs> causing hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. Seven people were arrested, but Vancouver's top cop says the rioters responsible will not escape justice. The people that did that, we're going to hold them accountable. The VPD is already seeing evidence uploaded to an online video portal launched September 21st. A similar website captured suspects after the 2011 Stanley Cup riot. We had over a million still photos and thousands and thousands of hours of video. 300 people were charged, the majority brought to justice with a 98% conviction rate. 11 years later, tech experts say smartphone video is much clearer. When they're looking at this image, they're looking at, at cameras that even Hollywood uses to make commercials and movies. So the image quality is unrefutable. And the fact that they have so much of this shared on social media, it's just a matter of time for them to collect all of it and to use it as evidence. Our ability to analyze that video and bring people to justice and identify people is second to none. It's not good to be caught on video doing something illegal, that's, that's for sure. 
Criminal lawyer Sarah Lehman says certain actions could potentially reduce an accused rioter's sentence if convicted. It is possible that turning yourself in or making an expression of remorse can be taken as a mitigating factor. What I did was dumb and I let my family and friends down and I will face the consequences. In 2011, athletes lost scholarships, students were kicked out of university and fired from jobs. Chief Adam Palmer expects the same level of shame this time around. I'll guarantee you that parents, relatives, friends, the person that didn't like you in high school, whatever it is, people will phone in to the number and they will tell us who you are. We are going to come knocking and arrest you and take you into custody. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A somber ceremony at the provincial legislature today for law enforcement officers who have given their lives in the line of duty. The risk of a similar fate is real for any officer in uniform. And as Travis Prasad reports, it's been an especially traumatic year for police in our capital region. Officers make their way to the B.C. legislature, but there's no active threat. This heavy police presence is about the past. A moving tribute to B.C. law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty all 129 of them. I'm here to remember my sister Mary. Margaret Franz's sister lost her life in 1975 while working at the BC Penitentiary in New Westminster. She was killed uh, following a hostage-taking event in which she was held hostage along with 14 other classification officers. One of the many stories of loss at the annual memorial now in its 25th year keeping memories of fallen officers alive, no matter how much time passes. This is something that is near and dear to all of us, and it's such a special day for us to reflect on what sacrifices officers have made. This year's gathering is especially poignant for police on the island and beyond. <laughs> Top of mind for many, the deadly shooting outside of a Saanich bank in June. The suspects, two brothers from Duncan, were killed and six police officers were injured, some of them quite seriously. I think it adds extra meaning for our people in knowing the sacrifice that our officers made on that day and how close they came to dying in the line of duty. As BC's police watchdog investigates, there are still many unanswered questions about the shootout. But what is certain, the bond between law enforcement from Mounties to municipal forces is strong. Fallen officers and their families are not alone, even at the end of watch. When the whole community remembers, I think that's it's a very powerful feeling, and it, uh, it makes me feel good. Travis Prasad, Global News. Kelowna RCMP are investigating after a suspected impaired driver crashed into an area where many homeless people had taken shelter in tents. Jaden Wozni has more on what happened and how it's a miracle more people weren't hurt. Shortly after midnight, witnesses say a black Dodge Ram with an Alberta plate drove through this fence before running over a tent with a man inside. Tire marks show that the tent along with the person inside were dragged about 100 meters along this bike path. One resident describes the scene as terrifying. We could hear the vehicle revving its engine up, like it was really loud, like vroom, vroom. All of a sudden it comes just right, came right by, by us and then went and hit 
our friend Jeffrey here. Those nearby say a group of people confronted the driver as the truck came to a stop, while others assisted the victim who suffered significant injuries. One woman who was down at the encampment today to check in on some of the residents says she worries for the safety of some of the city's most vulnerable. I think we're seeing a lot of trauma. We're seeing a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder. Last night was really rough. We basically had someone try to kill someone. Friesen says the city's decision to put up the encampment here needs to be reevaluated as she feels incidents like this could happen again. This is not the best situation for people living here. They are basically sitting ducks and I am really tired of the city saying how wonderful it is because it's not. A statement from the Kelowna RCMP says the investigation is still ongoing, but it appears that alcohol was a factor and the suspect was arrested at the scene. After speaking to some of the residents down at the encampment earlier today, many of them say they feel unsafe being there and that they want the city to step up and build more shelters like the one behind me here on the corner of Ellis Street and Bay Avenue. But unfortunately, the opening of this shelter has been delayed. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Kelowna. The impact of toxic street drugs is well documented in B.C. with thousands dead and now a critical new warning about a potentially deadly supply hitting the streets of the central Okanagan. So far, five people have died, all of them from drug poisoning. As Victoria Femina reports, officials still haven't linked a common substance between the victims. In 12 years of policing, that's the most I've ever been a part of uh, in one day, especially in that short period of time. So uh, obviously we have, we have some pretty toxic drugs out there right now. It was a tragic day in the central Okanagan on Saturday when multiple people died in a short period of time, all from related reasons. RCMP officers from Kelowna and West Kelowna responded to three calls for drug poisonings, where a total of five people died, all of this in the span of just nine hours. The first call was around 8.15 in the morning. BC Ambulance Services and officers arrived to find a 32-year-old Kelowna man dead in his bed with evidence of drug use around him. That was followed by two more calls and four more deaths. And while it's too early to be confirmed, it is believed a toxic drug could be making its rounds. My understanding is that the people that passed away died suddenly. Uh, so it was, it's, something, something's out there that's pretty serious. Out of the three overdoses that police responded to on Saturday, twice two people were found to have died together, while only once did one person die alone. And those that died were all around the same age, approximately 30 years of age or older. With the concern of a toxic drug making its way around the city, police are taking extra measures to try and keep users safe. Taking things a step further, police will be on site at a concert scheduled for Sunday night at UBC Okanagan, headlining rapper Lil Pump. Uh, there will be some medical teams on site and there's some testing, pre, you know, drug testing available. And uh, all the police officers that will be working there will be with, uh, with their naloxone code kids. In a statement to Global News regarding what unfolded Saturday, Interior Health says, We are currently gathering more information about the suspected overdoses. At this time, we don't have enough information about a common substance to link the suspected overdoses. However, we want to reinforce the importance of the messaging issued by the Kelowna RCMP. Drugs were seized by police on Saturday at all three locations, and they're expected to be tested to see what exactly killed five people in such a short period of time. Victoria Famia, Global News.
An environmental movement that started right here in B.C. is being celebrated now in more than 100 countries around the world today. Events for World Rivers Day have been held across Metro Vancouver, including in Burnaby, where volunteers and families have gathered to remove invasive plant species along the banks of an urban stream. Projects this year have included habitat restoration, streamside plantings and river cleanups. We're caring for our waterways. We're working right by a stream over here. We're moving invasive plants so that way overall we can improve the health of this ecosystem. We can also bring people together to make a positive impact in doing so. We know that our rivers are literally lifeblood for our country, uh, for the environment, and we've got to protect water in all its forms, whether it's coastal, ocean, uh, but particularly river and freshwater is something so vital to us. It was 42 years ago that Rivers Day began in B.C., and this is the 17th year it's being recognized internationally as well. Thanks to all those volunteers out there cleaning up. Okay, coming up, a warm welcome for Ukrainian refugees. It doesn't take a lot to really make a big difference in someone's life. How a family found a new home in B.C. when they were forced to flee their own. But first... This year is going to be the end of this regime. A huge crowd gathers in downtown Vancouver, rallying for women's rights in Iran. From the stories we need to know, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Anger continues to grow in Iran and around the world over the death of a young woman who'd been detained by Iran's morality police. In Vancouver, an overflowing crowd packed the plaza in front of the art gallery, and that's where we have our Nagar Mojtahidi tonight. Uh, what an amazing turnout, Nagar. Oh yeah, Chris, and there has just been so much emotion here today. The grief that people were feeling for the death of Masa Amini has now turned into anger. Today's protest was organized by various members of Metro Vancouver's Iranian and Kurdish communities. At its peak, there was at least 2,000 people here earlier this afternoon. And what people are telling me, telling me today is that the death of Masa Amini has actually sparked something inside of them that has been building for decades, decades of repression and decades of violent crackdowns on just your basic human rights. Uh, people here are actually even comparing Masa Amini to that of George Floyd in terms of how her death has galvanized a worldwide movement. Here's more of what they had to say today. I'm here to show my anger, my frustration from a killing a young woman a week ago. And it's been last 40 years. Many of women being tortured. This is a clear message. It just literally simply to show your hair, you can be killed. She's uh, brought us here together for the first time in 43 years. Uh, the Kurdish and uh, Iranian people are standing side by side uh, to remove this regime. People here today are asking their fellow Canadians to support the people in Iran, and they're demanding that the federal government do more than just put out a statement. Chris? If Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is listening, but what a turnout down there. Thanks very much, Nagar. Again, Nagar Moshtahedi reporting for us in Vancouver. 
International injustices continue to make headlines. In Russia, more than 2,000 people have been beaten or detained during anti-war protests. Dozens of protests have broken out across Russia since President Vladimir Putin announced a call-up of 300,000 Russians last week. At least two of Russia's most senior lawmakers and Putin's allies are also expressing concerns about the mobilization. Many Canadian families have opened their homes to Ukrainians fleeing their war-torn country. And for one family in Coquitlam, they've bonded with their long-term guests in a universal and beautiful way. Global's Julie Nolan has their story. Yakovenko has become the entertainer in this Coquitlam household. Just don't uh, produce sounds, but you play like real music, and that is amazing for me. Arriving in Canada with his grandma in June, this talented teen is using music to heal. He thinks about his parents left behind and the loss and devastation back in Ukraine. To help him feel comfortable, his new Canadian family even converted their dining room into a performance space. They invite me just to sit with them and I engage them to sing and play with me. I know that Max is caring a lot as a 15-year-old who has been able to um, do most incredible things, navigating himself and his grandmother through a war-torn country and to safety uh, here in Canada. His Canadian host family just happened to have an empty suite in their home for the grandmother and teen. They gathered donations of goods from the community and also helped him enroll in high school. And I was able to advocate on his behalf and the counselor at the school was wonderful and recognized that we had somebody that for age was grade 11 but his academic levels were much superior. The teen's invention of an ionic thrust engine shows proof of his advanced knowledge of physics soon to be presented at a United Nations science fair. This host family is in constant contact with updates from Max's parents as they watch the news of targeted attacks in his hometown of Zaporizhia trying to feel less helpless during a senseless war. It doesn't take a lot to really make a big difference in someone's life. The neighborhood also coming together to welcome the displaced pair into their community with nights of karaoke and dancing. Uh, Rob and his family, they, uh, they all give me support and uh, uh, after that I feel better. With music for the soul and bonds to last a lifetime. Julie Nolan, Global News. And coming up, from here to Mexico on a bicycle. Holy cow! Just look at this place! What inspired him to complete the journey in only three weeks? And what he did right after? But first, what to expect when the January 6th committee resumes and what it could mean for former U.S. President Donald Trump. More than a year and a half after rioters angry over Donald Trump's election loss stormed the U.S. Capitol building, the January 6th committee will hold what could be its final hearing, exposing who should be held accountable. But as Global's Reggie Cicchini reports, the commission is facing a quickly closing deadline. 
It's been more than two months since the committee investigating the attack at the U.S. Capitol held a public hearing, that eighth installment zeroing in on the inaction of the former president as his supporters threatened lawmakers and America's democratic stability. On Wednesday, season two begins, although it might be short-lived, with only one and potentially the final hearing scheduled. And while we don't know who will testify, the list of potential witnesses is lengthy, including the former vice president, who's publicly stated that he would consider answering questions. The committee's chair has promised, quote, significant witness testimony. And at the end of the last hearing, the leading Republican, Liz Cheney, said new subpoenas had been issued and, quote, that the dam had begun to break. There has been reporting over the last several days that a phone call was traced from a rioter to the White House, and that is now raising questions, given call logs contain a seven-hour gap on that day. Now, the committee is up against a clock. Midterms are about six weeks away, and if Democrats lose control of the House, it all but spoils any potential chance to further investigate this matter. A report is due by year's end. And while the committee cannot lay charges, it has threatened to make criminal referrals, which would add to the mounting legal challenges that the former president is facing. Now, if that report is issued before November, it could also put pressure on Republicans, but also Democrats, including vulnerable committee members who face uphill re-election battles. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Coming up, FIFA embraces First Nation culture. How the Musqueam are changing the game for EA Sports in the latest edition of one of the world's most popular sports video games. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, with the near record level gas prices hit today, a very fitting event was held in Vancouver's West End this afternoon. Check it out. It's the third of three car-free days to be held in Vancouver this year. Large crowds took in the event that shut down Denman Street between Davie and Robson. For the first time in a couple of years, because of the pandemic, car-free days gives people a chance to experience what cities could be like with more space for pedestrians and not cars. So good experience for everybody out there today and perfect weather for it. All right, before we check in with Christy, we are having some technical difficulties with that. I'll warn you uh, at the outset. Before we get to her, the Mosqueam Nation's history, heritage and culture is recognized in a new EA Sports FIFA video game. EA Vancouver's FIFA 23 features art and assets by 10 local artists, including Musqueam motifs and patterns. Video game players will have the opportunity to play in a fictional representation of Musqueam's real-life soccer field. Gamers can also unlock apparel and team kits designed by Indigenous artists. Musqueam Chief Wayne Sparrow says he's proud of the nation's participation in EA's efforts to better connect with local communities. It was exciting when we found out that EA uh, was looking at that and then uh, to see the finished product, I was very, very proud of, uh, of our, our elders, our youth. So I think one of the things that uh, is, is really exciting is our kids and our adults get to use the jerseys that are in the, in the sport, sporting game. To see our um, 2010 uh, field uh, presented in the video game, and then uh, and then now to have our uh, the uniforms that were used in the games to be able to uh, suit up our, our kids and our adults is going to be very exciting, and I can't wait for that day. This is the first collaboration of its kind for the FIFA title. FIFA 23 will be available worldwide 
on September 30th. All right, we got Barry on standby with sports. Also coming up, pedal power takes a BC man all the way to Mexico. After day three, I was I was riding the bike, thinking to myself, "What have I done?" How his perseverance paid off for people battling cancer. Next. All right, we had World Rivers Day, uh, Car Free Day, big rally down at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Amazing weather for anything you're doing outside. And we've banished the technical gremlins, so we have Christy live with the weather forecast right now. Beautiful day. A beautiful day, and I wanted to come to you from outside, but it, it turns out the technical difficulties had to do with the sun for some reason, so I'm inside now. Uh, but Chris, sensational day. Here's a quick look at how hot it got. So away from the water out in the Fraser Valley, Humidex values at 29, the temperature 26 as predicted, and we are expecting similar conditions again tomorrow. So the heat is here to stay for a couple of days. Those of you in the interior, mid to upper 20s, I want to highlight Lytton hitting 28 degrees today. Uh, we are expecting the potential for record-breaking temperatures for that Lytton region tomorrow and into Tuesday as temperatures will soar and I'll show you that in a second. But first, these are the inland temperatures for Metro Vancouver. So we've got two days of heat on the way before temperatures drop on Wednesday. Yes, we are expecting rainfall, well-needed rainfall, let me remind you. But this is what I wanted to point out. 30, 31 degrees over the next two days. As I mentioned, potentially record-breaking conditions before temperatures come down Wednesday, Thursday. So it's really two days of heat on the way. That's just for Southern BC, North Coast region, periods of rain expected there as a van continues to funnel rainfall in through that region and temperatures will be cooler more near seasonal whereas our region we're looking at 10 to 11 degrees above seasonal for this time of year for those of you in the interior so for the south coast we may see a bit of cloud cover passing here and there but otherwise sunny skies we'll see highs away from the water to 26 degrees on monday 25 degrees on tuesday much cooler though on wednesday it will feel like fall but it doesn't last long chris it looks like like that system drives inland and we're back to sunshine potentially over the weekend i don't get too excited about the weekend of course that stays away mm -hmm. uh so of course we'll refine that as we get closer but the rainfall chris is really well needed um officially today's 50 day 53 out through the fraser valley with no rain and yeah. it is official now that it's a record-breaking drought period so dry okay a lot of people will be thankful to get that moisture for sure thanks very much christy all right, now a Vancouver Island man has just completed a grueling 4,000 kilometer bike ride from Canada to Mexico, a lot of it on rough trails and gravel roads. Rob Trainer is no stranger to feats of endurance on two wheels, but as Jay Durant shows us on This Is BC, Trainer had to dig deep on this one, helping him raise close to $200,000 for cancer research. Holy cow! Rob Trainer's no stranger to long open road rides. He's been on a number of epic fundraising journeys before, but nothing like the one he just completed. After day three, I was I was riding the bike, thinking to myself, "What have I done? You know, how do how do I get out of this? We're never going to make this in 21 days. It's never going to happen." He cycled 4,000 kilometers down the Great Divide Trail, raising money for cancer research. Almost there. 
Some long days on these gravel routes that required some occasional pep talks from his support team. You're really good. A, a few uh, back and forth in the van for sure as the, they were encouraging me to get out there and I was trying to explain how I needed to maybe take a day off. Tight to the right, buddy. Turn in a couple tanks. For the past decade, Trainer has taken on rides to support the fight against cancer. To date, he's raised close to $200,000. This was by far the biggest test that came with certain challenges. Saddle sores. <laughs> uh, sitting on a seat for uh, 12 to 15 hours a day for 21 days in a row. There's Dan way up there on the hill. But he found a new gear as they got closer to the finish line. By day 15, 16, we were like a horse headed for the barn. You know, I knew then there was no stopping us one way or another, we were gonna get it done. Finally, after three long weeks, they reached the US-Mexico border. Okay, you made it, buddy, here you are. But what are you gonna do next? I'm going to Disneyland. A little fun and now some rest after raising another $80,000 for cancer research. But this certainly won't be Rob's last fundraising ride. There's a couple of routes across British Columbia I've been looking at. Another one uh, across the states east to west. I'm not done. There'll be, there'll be a few more. Good job, buddy. Thanks, man. Jay Durant, Global News. Well done, Rob. All right, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC you'd like to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay. That address is thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Hope to get your ideas. Okay, uh, Barry joins us now with a look ahead to sports. Big day for hockey fans. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Canucks preseason starting today. Actually, on a couple of fronts, they have so many players in camp. They have two teams, so one is playing a game in Calgary and the other is at Rogers Arena against the Flames. They just went to overtime, so we may have a final by the time I come back in a few mm -hmm. minutes. And the Seahawks back at home taking on Atlanta, and we'll have highlights of that one coming up as well. All right, busy day for sure. Thanks very much, Barry. Also coming up after that, the grisly truth about Vancouver's failed NBA team. We need to subpoena the financials or something. A new documentary from the superfan who brought us the basketball hit Finding Big Country. The questions fans want answered. Be part of the Beyond Belief campaign. BC Cancer Foundation has launched the most ambitious and comprehensive health campaign in BC's history to activate BC cancer experts, advance innovation, and accelerate accessibility to world-class care for every British Columbian. Give today at gobeyondbeliefbc.ca. Country superstar Luke Combs is coming to Vancouver on his world tour in 2023. Be there at BC Place as he takes the stage with special guests Riley Green, Lainey Wilson, Flatland Cavalry, and Brent Cobb. Our BC is brought to you by the BC Lions. September 30th is Orange Shirt Day. The first 10,000 fans who attend the game will receive a commemorative T-shirt. All right, Barry's here with sports and uh, exciting to get our first look at the Canucks. Yeah, there's a few new faces that uh, should make an impact this year. We'll see if they did anything tonight. Thanks, Chris. The uh, Canucks kicked off their preseason tonight on two fronts, split squad games in Calgary and Vancouver against the Flames. It's a chance for some of the new players and the new line combinations to get some time together, gain a little chemistry, and hopefully build something positive as we move toward the October 12th regular season opener in Edmonton. 
At Rogers Arena, that game, Canucks lineup includes Ilya Mikheyev, the former Maple Leaf, who they signed to the four-year $19 million free agent deal. The other new Russian, Andrei Kuzmenko, had a chance on his first shift, rips the wrister, but a nice save by Flames goalie Dustin Wolf. Flames do open the scoring late in the period. Mitch McLean, nice move to the backhand to beat Spencer Martin, who will be Thatcher Demko's backup after a really strong season in Abbotsford last year. Martin does come up with one of his 12 saves in the first. Puck knocks the stick out of his hand, but he made the stop 1-0 Flames after one. Early second, Ilya Mikheyev leaves the game with an apparent leg injury, so Pedersen and Kuzmenko lose their right winger. He did not return, hopefully just one of those groin pulls that we see in the preseason third period of a scrap Vincent Arsenault with a big shot against a six foot seven giant Adam Klapka gets in a few good ones crowd like that and maybe that sparked the Canucks Vasily Podkolzin scores from Tyler Myers nice moves by the 21 year old Russian expect a bit more from him in his second season Canucks on the board down 2-1 and then with the goalie pulled Elias Pettersson, look at this pass to Connor Garland, stopped once, scores on the rebound. Kuzmenko also with an assist. They are in overtime as we speak, 2-2 the score. The Seahawks were back home today for their third game of the season, hoping to duplicate some of the offensive success they had in the first half against the Broncos in the season opener. Geno Smith and the offense produced 17 points of that half, but they haven't scored a point since a six-quarter drought, which won't win you a whole lot in the NFL. How long would Geno Smith's leash be after laying the big goose egg last week in San Fran? Got off to a good start, hits Will Disley over the middle, for the touchdown, 18-yard strike, and the Seahawks are up 10-7, but the Falcons can score some points too. Corderell Patterson had a very good day on the ground, 17-yard touchdown gallop here. Falcons back out front, 17-10. Seahawks, though, will respond. Smith will find DK Metcalf for 18 yards, and the touchdown, that's a good throw by Geno. Lots of zip on it, 20-17 at the half. Offense looking good. And they would need to be because the Falcons kept piling on the points. Late third, Marcus Mariota to Drake London. 14-yard touchdown, 27-23 Atlanta with the lead. Seahawks uh, looked in trouble. Atlanta had the ball driving to maybe put the game away, but they fumble on the uh, exchange. Seahawks recover, gives them a chance to win the game. They had the ball inside the 20 at one time, but it came down to fourth and 18. Smith Needs a miracle, but his pass picked off, and that is it. Geno Smith threw for 325 yards, but the Hawks still fall 27-23 to the Falcons, so Seattle's record drops to 1-2. and two. The good news is the Lions did clinch a playoff spot last night, but only because Ottawa lost their game. BC looked anything like a playoff team. The Lions offense just could not find any rhythm stuttering and sputtering all night long in a 25-11 loss to the Stampeders. As good as Vernon Adams Jr. looked last week in his first start as a Lion, he struggled last night, mustering just three points on offense. I think he never got into a flow. I don't, I don't think he was seen at the same as he was last week, and we'll have to, we'll obviously sit down and watch this and and make sure we're um, doing things that we need to do. I, I think he gives us a chance to win. I don't think it was his day or our whole football team's day. I might have missed a few throws, and that was it, man. I just, like I said, we just got to stay on the field, move that ball, hit those big plays when they come, and yeah, don't, uh, don't hurt ourselves. 
the quarterback obviously is the uh, a focus always, but it's really our whole football team as far as uh, uh, not playing well enough to win the game. Back to the NFL, NFC West battle, Rams and Cardinals from Phoenix. No secret who the Rams want to get the ball to, Cooper Cup. This time it's the Jet sweep and Cup runs it in for the touchdown, 20-yard run for Cup. Rams led 10-0 after the first, and then in the third, Rams will punish the Cardinals some more on the ground. This time Cam Akers takes it in from 14 yards out. Low-scoring game between these two, but it's the Rams who win it 20-12. Arizona did not score a touchdown. So the Rams go to two and one, Cardinals drop to one and two. Epic quarterback battle in Tampa. Tom Brady and the Bucks against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. 1,077 touchdown passes between them. The GOAT leading the way at 626. Second quarter, Packers up 7-3, and Rodgers will throw his second touchdown of the game to Alan Lazard. 14-6 Packers at the half. This was a low-scoring game as well. The Bucks finally got a touchdown with 14 seconds left, but they need the two-pointer to tie it. Brady with the pass into the end zone, but it is deflected away and falls incomplete. Tom has been anything but terrific his first three games. Just three touchdown passes. Bucks lose for the first time this year, 14-12 to the pack. Josh Allen and the Bills in Miami. Buffalo unstoppable in their first two games, outscoring their opponents 72-17, but a different story today. Tight game in the fourth. Chase Edmonds gives the Dolphins the lead, 21-17. Now, final seconds, Bills down two. Allen somehow escapes the pressure, dumps it off to Isaiah McKenzie, who gets into field goal range, but he can't get out of bounds. Bills out of timeouts, need to spike the ball to stop the clock, but by the time they get lined up, they run out of time. The clock is at zeros, and it's game over. Frustration for Allen. Bills offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey smashes his computer. Bills suffer their first loss, 21-19. Miami's 3-0. Baseball now. Blue Jays and Rays from Tampa. Toronto leading the Rays by a game atop the wildcard standings. Just 10 days to go in the regular season. Jays led 1-0. George Springer with a two-run shot to right. Springer added a solo homer later in the game. And then in the eighth, T. Oscar Hernandez will hit an absolute moonshot. 465 feet Second longest homer of his career, a two-run shot. Jays win 7-1. They lead the wild card by two over the Rays. Toronto could clinch a playoff spot as early as Tuesday. Mariners, meanwhile, playing their final road game of the year in Kansas City, starting the day in third and the final wild card. Seattle led 11-2 at one point, but the Royals got 11 of their own in the sixth, and the Mariners collapse, lose 13-12. So now they are two and a half back of the Jays, but Seattle's still in good shape to make the playoffs for the first time since 2001. Labor Cup, Felix Ojealiasin meeting his uh, idol Novak Djokovic in a match today. John McEnroe, the Team World captain. Team Europe winning all four of the previous Labor Cups. But Felix played at an elite level today, won the first set, then pounds the return. He's pumped. Johnny Mack is pumped. Match point. Felix with the big serve, and it will set up the easy put away at net. And Felix beats Djokovic for the first time ever. Felix also won his doubles match as the world team won the Labor Cup for the first time ever. And the Labor Cup 
comes to Vancouver next year. That should be fantastic. Basketball, Women's World Cup, Canada on the court this morning against Japan. 2-0 so far in the tournament. Bridget Carlton was the star today, drives the basket for the layup. She led the way with 19 points, six rebounds, five assists, hits the three here. Canada wins 70-56. They're 3-0. They have clinched a quarterfinal berth. They play the host from Australia tomorrow. And final day of the President's Cup from Quail Hollow in North Carolina. 12 singles matches. USA led 11-7 when the day began. Internationals made the Americans work for it. Jordan Spieth, though, is just unbeatable this week. How about that? Closes out his match uh, against Cam uh, uh, Davis of Australia, 4-3. Spieth was 5-0 this week. Xander Schofield had the honor of making the decisive putt. Closes out Canadian Corey Connors on the 18th. The final tally, 17.5 to 12.5. Their ninth straight President's Cup victory, and they've won 12 of the 14 all-time competitions. Canada's two players, unfortunately, Connors and Taylor Pendrith, were the only two players in the entire competition who did not get any points. So too bad for them. They played well, but the Americans have just a beast of a team. And to get that close actually wasn't bad. Oh, overpowering mm -hmm. for sure, but good on the Canadians. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks very much, Barry. We're back with the Grizzly Truth and the NBA superfan and filmmaker who just can't let Vancouver's failed franchise go. Gee, the Grizzlies were not here for long. A Vancouver filmmaker and Grizzly superfan is back with a new documentary premiering next month. Take a look. Cat Jamie delivered a slam dunk with her feature documentary, Finding Big Country, earlier, successfully tracking down enigmatic NBA legend Bryant Big Country Reeves in the 2018 Vancouver Film Festival hit. Now, her latest offering is again focused on the Vancouver Grizzlies. The Grizzly Truth, as she calls it investigates what fans consider a true sports crime, figuring, or figuring out who's really responsible for robbing Vancouver of its NBA team. Jamie doggedly looks into why the Grizzlies left for the city, or this city, for Memphis, infiltrating the NBA's head office in her quest for answers. Even when I was making Finding Me Country, this was sort of like the end goal of uh, that adventure. Um, and so, you know, even when I was with Bryant, I asked him a bunch of questions that never made Finding Me Country because I knew I always wanted to make this film. I wasn't sure what I'd feel at the, by the end of the project, but closure is, you know, definitely one of the words that I would describe, uh, you know, my journey. And I'm, I'm hoping that fans, when they, Grizzly fans, when they watch the film, you know, they feel the same way. The Grizzly Truth debuts at Vancouver International Film Festival on October 1st. Good luck with the film. Cat, uh, I hope it's great. And thank you very much, everybody, for uh, joining us on this Sunday. We'll be back tomorrow.